0: Everyone's favorite time of year is right around the corner, college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the rules Podcast. Be sure to follow rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. Coming to you during summer league, I was reminded today by a friend of mine that there's only about nine weeks until the actual season starts, which doesn't seem like that long at all. It seems like we only just started the off season. We've only got two months to go, really, until games kick off. Um, but usually, in off seasons, I know last off season, between the break and the bubble, we had the last dance. This year, there's a little bit of a different documentary that uh, kicked off this week. Uh, it's only one part. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have seen it. It's called Untold Malice at the Palace, and it's about the infamous incident where Ron Artest and Stephen Jackson went into the stands in the Palace of Auburn Hills against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Justin, you and I sort of recall that. We're of an age where that was probably something that we remember, um quite vividly so i'll start with you where what were your immediate reactions watching this because I've, I've got a few thoughts uh watching the fire, watching the documentary what, watching the documentary yeah. um yeah a lot of
1: thoughts it's really hard like i've always found this really difficult to talk about the brawl um yeah it, and it's hard to really talk to a non-pacer fan about. I think if you're a pacer fan and you live through that era of pacer basketball, you really know what it meant to be a fan. But watching that, I thought it would kind of heal me in a way. And good, I'm finally ready to move on. But yeah. it hasn't done that. Um, it's really brought up some painful memories. Um, but I think all in all, the documentary was great because it really took a Paces players' perspective on it, where yeah. at the time it was all like you know, Jermaine O'Neill mentioned these players are thugs. Um, you know, no one really talked about how poorly the fans behaved. So I think it was really good, um, to look at the Paces perspective of it. And last note for me, I just think it was great to talk about Reggie Miller and how I ended his career abruptly a touch. I know he was 18 years in, but he essentially admitted that's why he retired at that point. So, yep. um, I firmly believe, I I know I'm biased, but we were the best team in the NBA that year. I think that was the best chance in my lifetime to win a championship. Um, So, yeah, who knows if it would have happened. You know, Ron could have done something 10 games later.
0: But, um, yeah, I think that was the best chance to win it all. It was definitely the most stacked team. If we look at, uh, I guess, the history of the Pacers over the last 20 years, they really loaded up. For that season, and they had a clear starting five. They had Stephen Jackson as a six man, and you know it was it was really clear that they knew who they were. They knew what they were good at. They embodied defense in a way that not many other teams from the last twenty years have. They had as as it says on the documentary, the best perimeter defender, the best interior defender. Jermaine O'Neal was fresh off a MVP campaign where he finished third uh, in two thousand and four. I mean. It, it it really strikes you how good that team was, and if you remember how good that team was, you remember why it hurt so much. If that team sucked and that had happened, then you know it would have been a terrible incident, a black eye on the team, but it wouldn't have hurt so much because what could have been. And fans always love to talk about what ifs. There's always a you know, an ACL or a Achilles or something that's between you and a championship. Denver fans will think about that this year with Jamal Murray, but this was that for Pacers fans, really, this was Pacers fans looking at it saying we were one stupid decision after stupid decision, after stupid decision, sort of domino effect stupidity away from being, you know, very well could have been the best team in the league that season I mean the the 2005 San Antonio Spurs you cannot discount how good they were Tim Duncan at the peak of his powers Tony Parker incredible Manu Ginobili incredible we matched up really well on that team um, just as we matched up really well on Detroit so I mean you know you can't definitively say we wouldn't want a championship but as you say it was our best chance I've got some immediate thoughts I think I, I've got a bit of a different take to yourself Justin in that I found it a little bit cathartic to watch that. I found it um, I found it a, a positive viewing experience more than I was expecting. Um, I think it is a grieving process with teams when you lose or when you have a terrible incident. And that's probably a bit of closure for me for that incident because you can't go back and change it. Now, am I angry about a few things? Definitely. Um, Jamal Tinsley, I'm super angry at that guy. Uh, I was super angry at that guy when he just left the team out of the blue and didn't turn up for 18 months, but I was super angry at him for suggesting that Ron Artest foul Ben Wallace. That was just stupid. That was that ignited the fire that engulfed the palace that night. Um, I'm angry at Charles Haddad, the fan. Um, he's a scumbag and, you know, shouldn't have had any airtime, let alone the airtime that he had. Um And he's lucky that Jermaine didn't connect fully on that punch because it would have been a really sad story for Charlie Haddad. And I'm glad that he's still here and alive, but also he's a scumbag. Um, You know, I've got many, many thoughts about the way that that played out, but coming around full circle to this team, Rick Carlisle should have pulled the starters. I've had this conversation with many people over the last 72 hours and it, I've never heard Rick talk about it. I've never heard an interview with him where he references the fact that the starters were still in. We're up massive late in the fourth quarter. The thing that I still don't understand to this day and will probably never understand is why Rick didn't pull rank and say, bench players now. Everyone go back, cool off, and let's get them in the playoffs. Um, Well,
1: Reggie's come out and actually said he told Rick to pull the starters as well. Yeah, Uh, yeah. He's come out and said that. I think on a Dan Patrick injury, he literally come out and said, I told Reek to pull the starters. He didn't. And then, because he could see as a player, he could see what yeah. was happening on the court. You know, yeah. there was starting to be some trash talk back and forth. He went up, Reek pulled the starters, didn't listen. And then bang, the rest is
0: history. But yeah. yeah. Alex, as, a, as someone who, you know, doesn't remember the event happening potentially um, from their childhood, how did you view the documentary through the eyes of someone who's, you know, probably read a bunch on this, seen a bunch of the footage, researched it a bunch as in when you, you know, you love this team. So you have to know about the brawl. How did you take it?
2: I mean, yeah, similar to you guys, obviously I I was, I mean, I was three years old, so I didn't know anything about it or anything about basketball at the time, but you know, to see how much that meant to Jermaine really hurt, you know, it still hurts them to this day. Steven Jackson said he never wants to talk about it again after this documentary. Like, you could see how much, what, 17 years later? And it it still hurts him to the core. And I think the saddest part about it was, you know, they all admit that that was, or at least to them, the worst part was that they let Reggie down, right? Like, they all felt like they let him down because it was his last chance to win a championship. And they all thought he owed him uh, that. So, you know, that's definitely, I think for me, the saddest part was watching Jermaine and Reggie uh still suffer from that and and just the way that the players were treated you know justin you talked about it the media just attacked them from day one david stern uh made made it pretty clear right that he was going to put all of this on the players even though that there was a lot of other pieces involved so you know this documentary was definitely good for jermaine and them to get their voices heard and to get it out there and i think uh, just to tie it into today's team that team lacked veteran leadership, right? Like, obviously, Reggie was injured that game, but you saw Jamal Tinsley. First of all, why is he telling Ron to get that foul? But secondly, you know... He's he's an an idiot, Alex.
0: That's why he's an idiot. He he was part of... (laughs) That is true. I I googled Jamal Tinsley nightclub and got many, many results of different times (laughs) that he was in a nightclub and a gun just happened to be discharged in or around Jamal Tinsley. So he's a... yeah. He, he's well, exa- exactly what David Stern wanted to stamp out at that point. Yep.
2: Yep. But I think the, the Joe's to show that you need guys in your locker room who are not going to do that and who are going to, you know, uh, help people who might be on the verge of breaking down or having a fire. You need locker room leadership. And I, I don't know about you guys, but this team just doesn't really have it, do they?
0: Not at all. I, I mean, we, um, We've listened to the latest um, friends of the podcast, rivals of the podcast, setting the pace uh, Mm -hmm. over the last week. And shout out to those guys; they've done a fantastic job with Jay Michael on a couple of occasions over the last six months. And you know the the stuff on Brogdon, the uh, the stuff on Sabonis, particularly those two, um, just built on what we already knew was a toxic environment, a selfish environment. It's it's really funny that you know. The three of us had episodes in January, February of this year where we were calling out Sabonis for being selfish on the court with how he was reacting to foul calls, not getting back on defense, you know, slowing down the offense, hogging the ball, chasing stats. It was all true. He was doing all of those things. It was plain for us to see from halfway across the world. So, you know, it was really interesting to see all of that come out. I know, Justin, you're particularly aware of the – the Malcolm Brogdon stuff I mean that was eye-opening to say the least
1: yeah it was I, I remember I think it was our last episode we recorded or maybe the one before I, I kind of mentioned I'm giving Brogdon one more chance and then I'm I'm done with him and after I got recording I, I thought man I was probably a bit harsh on Brogdon but um now hearing you know Jay Michael and setting the pace I, geez, well mate, mate maybe I was spot on because if yep. everything he's saying is true which I assume it is it's you know, there was talks about the Black Lives Matter Zoom call with the players, and he was kind of talking over people and players weren't too impressed. Um, it, you know, we, we thought Brogdon was a leader. I, I think the biggest thing which J. Michael mentioned was KP has always talked up Brogdon saying, oh, he's a leader and, you know, he's doing this, doing that. In his end-of-season presser, he didn't mention Brogdon once and he said, we, we need leadership so it's it's obvious the pace of organisation from the top top dog in KP and probably Chad Buchanan have gone. Brogdon's not a leader, um, and I'm bitterly disappointed. You know the opening opening press that we got him was this is one of the biggest days in our franchise history, and we're looking one to two years down the track. Going, gee, should we trade him away? Like he's possibly our biggest free agent signing ever, and now. You know, the Pacers' luck. We're talking about, do we even want him on the team? So, yeah, I'm bitterly disappointed. I, I stand by what I said again. If he doesn't show anything in the first few months of the season and if we have any locker room issues that come out in the media again, um, I think you you probably have to s- trade him pretty swiftly. Um, Alex, we mentioned it quite a bit. I, th- I think the really only starter that actually cares about the Indiana Pacers and wants them to succeed is Miles Turner. Um, TJ Warren. Which is... Yeah, maybe TJ yeah and TJ Warren. Well, obviously Jay Michael came out and refuted the trade request yep. TJ Warren apparently asked for. It's all BS. So um yeah, I, I I just want players who want to play for Indiana. Going back to the brawl, that's why we all love Reggie so much. Not because he's on court talent, that's a whole different thing. It's because he wanted to win a championship for Indiana more than anyone. He wanted to be the New York Knicks for Indiana. Whereas I feel like on this current team, we don't have anyone like that. Yeah. Maybe
0: miles. Yeah. Uh, look, it's, um, <clears throat> it's a really tough situation that we find ourselves in because, you know, Brogdon came through, Brogdon's career has spanned this podcast. I think that's the, yeah. Brogdon's career with the Pacers has spanned this podcast. We got Brogdon about a month before the three of us started recording. Um, he came in like a house of fire. He was incredible. He was being talked about as an all-star he was talking about it being talked about as a social justice leader. Um, when McMillan got fired, the talk was, oh, thank God Brogdon spoke up and and you know, had a had a coaching change where we sorely needed one. We got swept again. He was apparently then best friends with Bjorkren from what Jay Michael was saying, which is, you know, the red flag to end all red flags at this point. Um but the bloom is well and truly off the rose with Malcolm Brogdon he is no longer new fresh and exciting he is um, a problem he's becoming a problem for the franchise he's becoming a problem for the fan base um, you know you only had to look at those late season box scores to see that you know Brogdon and Sabonis would have 30 points each and then no one else would have more than 6 or 8 and you know that that wasn't because Brogna and Sabonis were so much better than everyone else that was because Brogdon and Sabonis were trying to get points for Brogdon and Sabonis and I think the um, yeah it, it, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth because of what we had a couple of years ago the question now becomes exactly as, as J. Michael asked is this something that's going to endure is this behavior going to endure this season with Rick Carlisle? because there are no excuses for Malcolm Brogdon or Demata Sabonis this season in terms of their ability to play within the structure of the team that the coach has created. The coach will give them absolutely clear instructions as to what he wants them to do. So Alex, there's no time left for these guys to prove that they are team players. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. And I think, the only thing I will say though is that there were instances you saw last season with Dallas that Luca was butting heads with with Rick Carlisle. And yeah. apparently that was one of the reasons that they wanted to move on. So look, it I think Rick's probably closer to McMillan, we can agree, right? Than than obviously yes. Nate Bjorken, So yes. he's gonna be more of a sergeant type leader. But so so I think you're right. Obviously, look, Sabonis and Brogdon are not gonna have the same leeway they had last season, but Look, uh, my only thing is, though, this season, you know, as Justin kind of talked about in the presser, uh, KP was saying that he needed, um, you know, veteran leadership in the locker room, right? That was one of the things he was stressing a lot. Did we address that? No, I, I no. mean, there still could be a move to be made, but we haven't addressed that as, as of today. So There has to be a move. Really, yeah, I, I just don't know how that really changes, even with the coaching staff, you know, pretty much completely being overhauled.
0: I just I just can't see how Malcolm Brogdon is a starter on the fir- in the first game of the season. Like really? I mean, he's dealt. I, I can't I head. can't see how he can stay with the franchise with those reports coming out. Like I, I can't see how the franchise could justify keeping a guy that undermined his teammates, that was out for his own stats, that, you know, undermined their thoughts and feelings with in you know, a pretty sensitive topic, um, and has been at the center of two coach firings for very different reasons. Uh, I just, I mean, the the flip side of that is what team wants to trade for a guy with that reputation. I mean, mm. you know, what what team looks at Malcolm Brogdon and says, yeah, we, we'll, we'll bring that guy on and everything will be fine. It has to be a team with a really strong leader because otherwise he will probably look to do the same thing so you know the the weird part about this is that we actually want a really strong leader in return whereas brogdon would probably only thrive in a team where there's a very strong leadership structure um and yeah i i think that's going to be really really hard for the paces to to arrange um I want to come back to, Mal- to Miles Turner for a second. Justin, you mentioned his name. He's been working out with Rick Carlisle this week, which I think is a really positive sign of his future on the team. Um, it seems like he's saying all the right things. It seems like Rick saying all the right things. Do you read anything into these two get hooking up in summer and working out together? Do you read anything into that being a good thing for Miles' future with the team?
1: Oh, 100%. Hundred percent. I, you know, that that means something. If if KP said, look, Miles is on the block, it'll be gone within two weeks. Rick's not going to fly somewhere and spend a whole week with him. Just ain't going to happen. Um, you know, he, he's he's a busy man. Both of them are. Um, for them to spend time with each other, Rick's obviously teaching new things. Miles has come out and said, man, I love spending a week with him. Um, that does mean something. I'd be shocked if I woke woke up tomorrow and Miles is traded. Whereas. A month ago, I think we were all expecting that watch bombs come through, weren't we? So um, yeah. I think it's great news they're working together. And I, I always find it funny. I, I always try and read between the lines with what the franchise is, what information they're giving us. And I've always yep. kind of silence is deafening to me. I remember yes. with Oladipo, with with all the Miami rumors and everything <laughs> like that. With, the less we heard about depot and you know they were starting to sell the Brogdon Sabonis, they were pushing that kind of agenda to the fans and. I'm kind of getting the same feeling with Brogdon now. I know, you know, we just moved on from that, but I feel like, you know, KP and a lot of the Pace organization, whether it's social media tweets or Instagram posts, they they somewhat cater to who they want to sell the fan base. You know, we're hearing more about Miles lately, TJ Warren coming back from injury, Karis LeVert. Man, I've heard nothing about Malcolm Brogdon. I have heard nothing. He... He may as well not even be a of this off, season. I have heard absolutely nothing from the organisation about him, which tells me, you know, is this going down the same path as Zola Depot last year? Um, that's just me. I could be wrong, but I always look into the little things like that. And I feel like more times than not, it's spot on where in six months they're gone.
0: Yeah. It's difficult not to read that into what's happening right now. I think you know, Domas is still front and center on, you know, the Pacers team store website, for example. And, you know, I think it's clear that being the only all-star on the team, that he's going to be the guy that they market the most in arena, they market the most on season tickets on, you know, fan events, that sort of stuff. Um, But Malcolm Brogdon used to be on kind of equal footing in a way with, with, um, with Domas Sabonis, Domas Sabonis, and that isn't the case anymore. I think you know KP's comments about TJ Warren. I think we're about to see TJ Warren become somewhat of the face of this team publicly. Um, I think there's multiple reasons for that. I think he's got the personality that they want. He's fairly reserved and he gets it done uh, with a minimal of fuss. Um, and I think he's going to get an extension. Uh, I've already called it out. I think he's going to get between 20 and 25 million dollars a year over four years uh, at some point. I think he's going to sign an extension once they see him in training camp. Um, I think that's the clear, once again, they'll tell you what they're doing. If you really pay attention. Um, KP was made a point of saying that he's excited to have TJ Warren in Indiana and in Indiana long-term. So I'm just reading the tea leaves here. I can't see any other outcome, Alex, other than TJ Warren, signs an extension as soon as he's eligible, which is in a few weeks' time when training camp opens.
2: I think, to me, the only reason you'll be hesitant is just the injury history. So the Pacers probably wouldn't want to lock themselves into having three long-term injury-prone players in the starting lineup. And I also think, from the Pacers' standpoint, you don't want a Bowen situation – uh, to, to add to your point, Adam, where you lose him for nothing, yeah. right? Like they could have extended him um, or could they have extended Boyan? I think maybe. Um, they could have. because he was a one year, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, but we lost him for nothing to Utah in the end. So, because we couldn't afford him, right? So yes. I think at the end of the day, a, a guy like TJ, the Pacers just can't afford to lose him for zero. Like you don't want to let him walk in free agency. Uh, so I can see both sides of it. Obviously, I'm a massive TJ guy. I hope we can extend him. Um, and just, you look around the league, like Duncan Robinson is making the same amount of money as Sabonis, right? Like, so I'm, I'm with you. I mean, if Warren balls out this year, he could get a big payday. I mean, you see all this money going around and, uh, yeah, who knows what he gets.
0: I think you'll get very similar money to Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon before him 20. I mean, they were on 20, $21 million a year. That's where the Pacers see their starters that aren't quite all stars. Um, that's probably where they price those guys. And you're right. If he has a big year, he's getting 30 in free agency next year. He's getting you know three years, 90 million if he wants from so some team he, no, that's willing to pay him. Not Ola Depot's current contract. No, <laughs> no, he probably won't get a one-year deal at the minimum. No. Um, or Schroeder's. Let's no? look, let's talk about Ola Depot for a second. We have to talk about Ola Depot because we do We talked about him so much over his tenure with the Pacers. I feel you know. Like there's a lot of I told you so in this and that's a really human, normal, fair reaction for fans to make with the way that that situation was handled. At the same time, I feel sorry for the guy. I mean, you know, he, he got a, like, he's, he still made nearly a hundred million dollars playing basketball. So I can't feel that sorry for a guy who's got a hundred million dollars. He's got a hundred million dollars more than I've got. So (laughs) I, I just, I feel sorry for a guy who bet on himself and came up short, just like Schroeder did. Um, There's nothing to say that Oladipo can't come back and be something really good. I just don't think he'll ever get sniffed the money that he could have had this past season. You look at a guy like DeMarcus Cousins who had a series of injuries and has never even gone close to the money that he was making in his first extension in Sacramento. I mean, It's he signs
2: signs a minimum deal every year. And I think Oladipo could be in big trouble of of going down that same route. Yeah. Uh, He could look back on that. What did we we offer him? Like a hundred million over four years, I think. Yep. Something like that. Like that's a lot of money, man. That's a lot
1: of money to leave on the table. Yeah. You know, two year maxed out. I I think I, we actually, I I don't mean to sound like we're it here. We, we obviously do this from Australia, but I think we mentioned this last year we all did. And, We all said Victor's a great guy. He's so nice. But for me, I think it's the people around him, his management team have spat him complete BS in his ear, saying, oh, you know, you're this, you're a top five player in the league. This is what you deserve. You know, you should, you know, be on like a Tatum or Donovan Mitchell contract or something like that. And it's like, well, no, take what you can get. He's come off his ruptured quad. I, I do feel bad for him. I know you said how much money he's made, Adam, but, He's going to look back and really regret the decision. Um, unfortunately, you know, he's a minimum deal with Miami He Miami have just signed all these big guns to their roster. I don't even know where he fits in when he comes back healthy. Like a what eighth, ninth man? I actually do not know. He's
0: not a starter anymore. I'll tell you that. Oh, but, I, I think they'll probably end up starting him. I think eventually they'll probably end up starting him. I think they need him.
2: shooters, man. I think Duncan Robinson fits better with Jimmy. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I don't think a
0: lot of him starts. Um, yeah, but, I guess who do they get? Um, who do they get beside Bell? Oh, they got Tucker. So, yes, no, Tucker. there's no way that he's starting. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: defensively, they want, they would, they'd want
0: Tucker as well to spread the and, floor and heroes back. ahead of him as well. He, he, so, that's what I'm saying. He could be like
1: eighth, ninth man on a minimum deal. He, unfortunately, Oladipa's one. Well, this is such a bad thing saying it's so captain obvious, but he's one injury away from who knows being in the NBA anymore. Like, yeah. It's crazy you can go from a franchise we offered in the max franchise leader, you know, running a franchise to now, geez, you're in the NBA in two years. Um, very unfortunate, but your grass isn't always greener. I mean, if I'm a player and I've got a team offering me four years, hundred million, you know, <laughs> all good to bet on yourself. But geez, I'd be, I'd be signing that paper pretty quick.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, seeing the Oladipo and Schroeder results from, you know, trying to test the market in that way and trying to extract every red cent out of whatever team was willing to pay, it's probably a good thing for small market teams to show Mm. players that were a bit iffy on signing extensions, this is what happens or what could happen if you don't. So, you know, there's more incentive for the TJ Warrens of the world to sign for... 18 million a year rather than hold out to try and get 25. There's, you know, that's, that's more of the conversation uh, now, but let's touch on summer league a little bit uh, before we go. Um, original My thoughts or initial thoughts on, uh, on summer league, Justin, I know that you've been watching. What do you think? I have, I've been
1: watching a lot, um, basically nearly well, about three games a day. So, um, I'll start pace wise, and so I'll note on the league a bit. Um, my boy, uh, the, 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 the 13th pick, Chris Duarte. I, I reckon he's going to be a star. Alex, you're shaking his head. Up. He's got, he's got he's his not. walking I'm, stick I'm, out I've there on man. the court.
0: You know, he's got his pension <laughs> card and he is dropping bombs. I just he's- got to give Justin
2: credit, man. I've got to give you credit because you were on the fan club from day one. So if he yeah, pans yeah, out, yeah. I can't say anything about you. He's
1: man. your man. He's your man. Yep. It's the reason I've brought it up on this podcast because I won the audio receipts when he <laughs> ends up being a star that I was on his train from day one while everyone was slagging him. But, um, yeah, I mean, Jay Michael even mentioned war, war, the Warriors were the team that mentioned he's a poor man's Clay Thompson. So, yeah. um, and, you know, the story about, um, I think it's Joe Lacob it smashed the phone down when mm-hmm. we drafted him one step ahead of the Warriors. So their owner was pissed that we drafted him. I think he looks great. Spot up shooter. Uh, I'm so excited. I don't know where he fits in with like Holiday and Warren and a few other pieces, but um, I really hope he can get about 20, 25 minutes a game off the bench. Um, yep. I'm very excited, but just quickly as well, we'll pass on to what you guys think. But I got to mention Jalen Green from Houston. Mm-hmm. I think he is going to be an absolute best player in the draft think, class. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be a superstar in this league. He can score so easily. He scored 48 points in his first two games efficiently. Detroit were blitzing him and like double teaming him, and he still dropped 25 points on Cade Cunningham. Um, this I was just watching his highlights, he looks good. I I'll tell you what, I is some decent money on him for rookie of the year. I'd be getting on him because he he looks very impressive.
0: I um I want to talk about O'Shea Brissett. I mean, I think he was almost overqualified to play in summer league, but he's uh, he's still, he's still out there. He's shooting probably a poor percentage from the field, but what I love to see is that he's getting to the line. He's getting defensive stats. I think, you know, that shows the effort that he's making in summer league. And I, I truly believe that if we were to ever go a two for one trader, a, a Brogdon and Sabonis for a superstar, that O'Shea would be the type of guy that could slide into that starting lineup in the place of of Sabonis if we traded for a, a superstar point guard, for example. Uh, I think um the the clear preference from me if we were to do that is is that O'Shea enters the the starting lineup. I think he's got great energy. I think he attacks I think he tries on both ends. He you know he clearly can play both ways. And I'm just a massive fan of of his game. I love watching his game. I think he hit a corner three as well, which is important for a stretch four in this era. I think he's going to be a really important piece of a playoff or championship team in his career with what he's shown so far. Um, He's, you know, he could be your sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh man on a, on a really, really, really good team someday if he continues on this trajectory. And I, I really, really like him. So that's my takeaway from summer league so far, Alex.
2: Yeah, well, firstly, I love O'Shea. I think his story is amazing, right? Like, signed yep. two 10 day contracts last season, and now he's got a three year deal. So, shout out to him. But um, another guy I want to talk about is the other first round pick for the Pacers, Isaiah Jackson. Yes. He was balling out in the last Summer League game, came off the bench. You know, it's crazy because he, he didn't even know if he was going to play against the Knicks that first game. He literally uh, arrived late and had to come off the bench. So, you know, to come out the next day and have what I think he had like 12 and 13. He was catching lobs from Duarte, which, you know, he, he probably won't get many minutes this season. He'll play a lot in the G League. But, you know, it, you can see why the Pacers drafted him. He blocks shots. He's athletic. He runs the floor. He loves to crash the board. So I like what I see from uh, both our rookies.
0: He's already shown more, unfortunately, than Goga's shown the last six, 12 months. And that's unfortunate. But the reality of the rotation, I mean, I say Jackson could find himself in the rotation at backup big, uh, at some point this season, depending on the Goga, how the Goga thing works out because we, we clearly need that backup big man. Um, at the moment, there's no real clear answer as to what the rotation, if Miles and Domas both rest, is. And um, Justin, I think it's the writing's on the wall for Goga and I'm, I'm sad to hear that he's going through some personal problems and I really want to see him do well. People would know that I bought his jersey early on and I want to see the guy succeed. I think he's got a really um, bright attitude toward the game. He clearly loves the game and, and, you know, enjoys playing the game. And that's cool to see. But he's, uh, he's got to do that, uh, that old thing that we hate hearing. He's got to bring his lunch pail. He's, uh, he's got to work because at the moment, there's unfortunately not a great bright future ahead if he continues on his, his trajectory, which is the opposite to Isaiah Jackson's. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm very worried
1: about Goga uh, and his long-term future with the team. Uh, I can see him being a fill-in for a trade soon. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it short. I'm very worried about him seeing this season out. I just don't think he's shown enough. And we're all excited to see him in the summer league, right? This was, the, all right, let's see what he's done. And unfortunately, yeah, things have happened, which is probably not his fault. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm more and more concerned about Goga. I mean, we the biggest fight we saw from him was against the Greg Foster so. coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. Well, with nine weeks to go to the regular season, we're going to be bringing you an episode every week from now until then. We've got some pretty exciting stuff planned for next season. Uh, we're going to be trying to interact with our fans across in Indianapolis a little bit more through some competitions and we've got some potential for some prizes to come up as well so we're pretty excited about what next season has to offer we've got some guests in the pipeline uh, so hopefully we can come through with uh, with the goods there as well um, but we're enjoying continuing to bring you the show um, we hope you're enjoying it too uh, we've been the Pacers, and we'll see you next week